Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Wednesday edition, show 57. Is that right? Show 57. Okay, 57 yeah. is here. Exactly. Alongside like Chad Withrow and Paul Kowarski. That Memorial Day holiday really threw me off. Uh, it did. So, yeah, such a, yeah, nice Because I had it on the day of the week. Of and yeah, so now we're off of that. But 57. What's up, guys? How we doing? Good to be back with you guys today. My uh, T-ball coaching season is now officially over after a first-round loss to the playoffs. I, right I heard the night. other team. Do you want to congrats? Like, do I tell you nice. congrats for that? Like. I'll be I mean, the other coach. You know, look, it's Boy, no you more rain You really achieved a lot in your uh, in your first it's, season. You should be proud. Of, no, uh, and, and the other coach is being very kind to say that you know you guys kind are and condescending. We're, we're sort of self-deprecating about our own team and our own chances, and they were you know quick to say you guys are a lot better than you give oh, yourselves credit yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, much, and, much uh, better than two my response five. was you know the win-loss record says otherwise uh, when I look up in the standings, but uh, it was a fun season. Girls got better. As the year went on, and Paul, you know, as you know, it's really in youth sports just all about the learning <laughs> and the fun. Uh, there's not competitive spirit or drive no, at all with no, the no. parents. I was talking to one of the coaches last night after the game, and she was saying, you know, this age group just doesn't really fit with my competitive nature. Like, I want the girls to get older and have yeah. more drive and want to win older. more because then that lines up more with my competitive spirit. And I think every parent out there that's ever coached or been around it probably understands that, especially when dealing with five and six year olds. And look you have to grin to and bear it a little bit, don't you? Yeah, well, I mean, they don't even know if they're winning or not. You know, right. it's, uh, are we 13 or five? Well, you're five. Well, why are we five? Because they're better. <laughs> That's my response to all. They, they're a better team. And I just try to hammer that point home. You know, if you paid attention and uh, everybody tried as hard as they could, maybe we'll be 13 one day and the other team will be five. But until that day, they're 13 and you're five. <laughs> I look forward to Evie's continued these, development. These are life lessons. Evie, for the most part, knows. Like, she yeah. has a sense of what's going on. Um, She's but, a fierce uh, competitor. But, hey, you know, that's, those are also the reminders for the parents out there that for these girls, it is about just going out there and running around and having fun. They're not really concerned. They go right about their lives once that right. game ends, win or loss, and it's fine. It's and that's the, the way it should cream. be. It's all about the ice That's cream. the way it should be. I love or the Kona ice. Right. The Kona ice after the game is big. Kona ice is a gold mine. I uh, I love that explanation as opposed to like, well, they've scored more runs than we have. <laughs> he says, well, uh, the, we have the five because they're they're uh, better. They're yeah, they're doing a lot of better things than we're doing. I'm girls. big on I'm big on life lessons. You know, even at this age, and we're a show that keeps score. Yeah, uh, we uh, the Hutton I think and said receipts. it very well. It keeps receipts. Yeah. We keep receipts on this show. We keep score. I'm all about keeping score. And I'm all about reminding those that are losing that you're losing. And if you're winning, you're winning. And that's what it is. Our team also would be very big on, you know, after winning, it'd be 5 nothing after one at-bat. And just going nuts, like, we're, we're the five, right? They're the nothing. Like, yeah, you're the five. They haven't hit yet. You know, I'm having to explain, like, that's because they haven't hit. Right. And then they look up and, whoa, it's five to three now. I'm like, that's because they're hitting. And now they're, they're scoring runs. So it's also, again, this is all about teaching. I'm trying to teach them how the game works that it can look good for a little while. This is like life. Also, life can look good for a while. And then suddenly you wake up one day and you're down 14 to 5. <laughs> and that's what happened to T-ball also. Else hit. You can go on a run, though. Somebody and else had to go on a run. And damn it, these girls have to learn those lessons, too. <laughs> you can have a weekend like Jacob Swanson and be winning again, just like that. Yeah, I think that everyone who coaches youth sports at that age wants a couple things to happen. You don't want to lose every game, obviously. You want to have those moments of success to remind the young players there can be success when you do the right things and you listen. And then you also want to make sure they understand the consequences of not doing so without being overly harsh. You don't want your own 
frustration or anger to boil over to where you're harsh with them about it, just be very plain spoken and say, well, you're losing because they're just doing a better job. But that's okay because we still have chances to do a better job and come back. And, Paul, this is, this is the lesson of life. We had There's the, always a chance to come back. We had, uh, that was my motivational Wednesday speech. The All first right, I'm, I'm of two, two, ni- two nights of <laughs> soccer tryouts last night. And I already got a message today that, as of now, night two is on, which surprises me based on how much rain there was and how good care they take of these fields. Simon likes to play in the rain, so he may be fired up about that tonight. But he went to a basketball camp yesterday. It's just Ravenwood High School's team runs a, it's yeah. a, like a fundraiser. <clears throat> but we did that so all through high school. He went to be with his friend, his good friend Frank, and there were a couple other friends that showed up at this thing. What a name for an eleven-year-old! Frank's a great guy, and they didn't. Frank's a great name for an eleven-year-old. They, I love like old man names for little kids. Franklin. What was his other friend Gary? <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't have the foresight. I should have warned him. So Frank, this. Ron, and Gary show up with Simon at the Ravenwood basketball camp. I should have had the foresight to tell them, like, there's, a, they want to go to be together, right? But they come around and number the kids off and immediately split you up. So if these kids are going to four days of three hours of basketball, I personally feel like for 11-year-olds, you should facilitate the guys who go to be together being together. Instead, they come around and go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and split up all the friends. So that's fine. You go make new friends and all of that. But Simon signed up for the camp so he could be with Frank. And he's absolutely not with Frank because they're standing next to each other when they come and number you all. I think they should say, hey, if you're with your buddy, tell me and I'll put you on the same court. It's uh, tough to facilitate that when you're doing different teams. Yeah. And they're drafting. Like, we'd always do, like, scrimmages then every day and each – High school player had a team, they coach right. and you draft and they. But even if you're against each other, put them on the same. Well, this court. is this is an interesting debate, Paul, because I discussed this with my wife Angie last night, and we were talking about t-ball setup, and she said I really liked it where I'm from because it was town against town. Yeah. Because they didn't have enough well, kids in their town, town, so they would travel to different towns. But you got used to the camaraderie of everyone in your team as you grew up, and you knew the other players in your team. See, I grew up in Mount Joy Little League where you were on a different team every two years. <clears throat> So it's different parents, different styles, different personalities, everything. But I think as a kid, that helps you grow a lot to learn how to play with different kids and, and everything else, different coaches and all of that. But there is a debate to be had about which is better. You know, sticking with your band of, of buddies and your group and growing as a unit, as a team through the years or cycling through a completely different team every two years. Yeah. As you move, or really every year, because then younger kids will come up, you'll move up. Then the younger kids will join your team, so it's half and half every year. That's how I grew up playing youth uh, baseball and basketball. Well, but I, no, I don't know which one's better. This is no intensive basketball. Right. Thing. This is, is a three-hour. But you see the point of, kind of I want my, to play with my buddies. Yeah. So I'm going to go, and we're always going to play with my buddies. Or no, we're going to shuffle it up, and you're going to play with a bunch of different kids. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the, uh, that debate. This thing more, though, is like a get-a-kids-out-of-the-house yeah. kind of thing. And in a get-a-kids-out-of-the-house kind of thing, I think an 11-year-old wanting to be with his buddies is natural, and they should kind of seek to facilitate it on some level. It's also a very efficient way to split up teams and get going. I don't blame them for counting off 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, and splitting things up and get going. Yeah, it's also, uh, to me, not shocking that uh, Ravenwood High School would do this because Ravenwood High School is the same high school who wouldn't let me go to one of their football games because my website reported a bad story about one of their coaches. So it shocks me not in the least that it's a school that wouldn't facilitate kids playing together in their basketball games. Not just a bad story, By the way, tried to not let me go, but I knew someone in the quarterback club that opened a gate for me (laughs) to go cover a game on a Saturday afternoon. I believe this is a story Because the principal would not respond to me because they were so mad that we reported a story about a lawsuit that was going on that was public record. And yes, Paul Koharski, uh, I think paulkoharski.com had the story, but we reported we on it, it together. together. Yeah. So one time Paul and I have uh, played uh, investigative journalist <laughs> together on a, on a tag team story. Also, I just want to go back to we keep receipts. We keep receipts. We have also turned in receipts to be reimbursed for and argued about receipts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Those are more stories that we'll get to at some point. But yeah, speaking of keeping receipts and, and checking the win-loss column, I, I remember you, Ravenwood. I, I, re- I remember. I don't forget. I don't forget. Um, did Naomi Osaka forget that she doesn't want to speak to the media? 
Well, is, is I read that, this piece. Um, because she did. At, at uh, The Ringer by their media guy. Now I'm forgetting which, which guy. Brian Curtis. Brian said. Curtis, who's excellent. Um, and in his piece, I just cut and pasted you guys the, the line from it. Uh, and she, it turns out, um, uh, it, this is straight from the, from the piece. Osaka talked to Wow Wow, a Japanese station she has a business relationship with, even as she passed on the press conferences. This bothers me a great deal. Um, you know, if you're not talking, don't talk. But apparently she's, uh, and again, I go back to yesterday, I think we had a very reasonable conversation about her issues and, and were completely fair. But this, to me, punches somewhat of a hole in her uh, inability to talk to the media. When, when she's she unable to talk to the media, but she's able to talk to media that pays her. This would be like the equivalent of, and Brady is the worldwide example, like a, a great example. EI or Jim Gray. You know, the right. two exclusive interviews that he's paid to do or did in previous while, stops. While in New England. Right. Uh, if he just stopped talking to the media altogether and cited mental health as the reason why, but still continued <laughs> to do those two chats on a weekly basis. For which he's paid. Uh, for which he's paid and, and paid well. Handsome. And paid well. Can you clarify this one, Paul? Did she do this interview after dropping out of the French Open? Or is I, this... I, the timing was unclear. I think uh, my, the way but I read it... But she's planning on continuing to do these interviews. I, I don't know. But this indicates to me that she did it during the tournament when she wasn't talking to the I, media. I think, unfortunately, and, and I, I, so much of you know, what we react to at times, good and bad, is on social media, right? Is on Twitter. Yeah. That's a good source of news, especially for us. We're trying to gather news when we go to social media, but we see everyone's opinions on social media also. This has, once again, become something that has just divided people for whatever reason, right? It's like if you're of one belief, you have to believe one thing about Naomi Osaka. If you're of another belief, you believe another thing. And it uh, disallows people to just use rational, reasonable, critical thinking. Uh, reasonable, critical thinking when you're th talking about Naomi Osaka in this. And I said it yesterday, but when you claim that you don't like the media because they're bullies, and don't give a clear explanation as to why you're not doing press conferences. And that's what's out there. And then you get fined for it, and you're angry over the fine, and then you come out with a statement about mental health and, and needing self-care and needing to step away from the game to get help. And then you agree to continue doing interviews with media because they pay you. It doesn't take one side or the other to poke holes in that argument. I'm not here to call someone a liar that I don't know is a liar. But look at the evidence in front of us. It certainly does look like a very convenient reason to get out of doing something you just don't want to do. I mean, I could cite mental illness at, in an hour and say, guys, I, don't, I want to get out of here. I need some self-care and leave. But if I'm telling Hutton before the show, you know, my allergies are bothering me and you guys are annoying the piss out of me, so I'd like to leave the show an hour into it today and not discuss our topic in the second hour and then come back two days after the show that I leave in an hour and say it's because I needed self-care for mental health, you all would reasonably say, you know, I don't know if Chad is really being completely forthright about the reason behind this. And that's okay to question these things. It's what media does. It doesn't mean that you're, you hate Naomi Osaka. It doesn't mean that you're taking one political stance or the other, or you're joining one side of a debate or the other. It's, it's critical thinking that we've lost for whatever reason. Right. I think she would probably say, I... I'm getting paid. That's I, well, what she would say. Yeah, well, I mean, that's obvious. But she could say, I could fulfill my tennis playing obligation. I could fulfill my business obligation with Wow Wow, but I can't fulfill my press obligation. And again... When you're compartmentalizing to that extent, I, I would lean towards Nadal's thing, like, right. and most of the players saying, you, you have to do all of it or none of it. You can't cherry pick it. To me, and I don't know how closely you guys follow this, a huge debate breaks out on Twitter. Again, this goes with your divisive thing, yeah. Chad. As to, uh, and listen, we talk about a lot of things here about which we are not experts. I raise my hand on that, but what we do and what we pledge to do is to get as expert as we can. And this is what reporters do. Um, I, I know a lot of you hate the, hate the press, but this is the mission of a good reporter, is to study up on what you're writing about on a given day, right? There's an old famous journalism cartoon about a, a dartboard or a spin the wheel. You know, what am I becoming an expert in today? And then you read up 
and you make phone calls and you get as, as smart on a topic if you're a general assignment reporter as you can. We are to a degree general assignment sports reporters. And if we're talking about NFTs, like, for example, something we're going to do an hour on sometime soon, we're all going to read as much as we can. We're going to share stories with each other. We're going to talk to people about it. We might have a guest. And we're not going to be experts on NFT, but we're going to present to you an hour where we discuss as thoroughly as possible everything we learned about NFTs, take uh, some tweets that you send us, uh, et cetera. You get my point. And so yesterday, everybody, without getting educated, became an expert on a post-game press conference, on a post-tennis match press conference. Oh, these are completely unnecessary. Nothing ever comes out of these. Well, you know, look, there's a lot of bad stuff that comes out of these. But in terms of finding out the strategy behind an important play call or, or putting a coach or a player in the moment and finding out, you know, why did you try to hit a drop shot there as opposed to going or, you know, any of these things, those are very important moments. And there is a, a function to them. And I don't really appreciate all these people who didn't read up and study up on what a post-game press conference is telling me and all of my brethren who've never... Uh, who, who spend their lives in these press conferences, what's going on. I know Chad loves, and I'll finish quickly here, how often I cite Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees for The Athletic. She said, we don't want press conferences. We want to talk to people in person like human beings. The reality TVification of press availability is an annoyance to me. I want insight, answers, and quotes for my written work. Why that process is on TV is out of my control. I've said this forever. I don't want the press conferences publicized. That's shaped by somebody else. But reporters in the press need those moments. And it's become now this huge debate. Are they necessary? Yes, they're necessary. Well, and it, it, obligation. I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. We're talking about obligation. And Rafa Nadal said this. Uh, um, Barty, the number one female player in the world, said this. Um, your obligation at the French Open is to do these press conferences. That's it. That's your, that's your one media obligation. So if you want to participate in the French Open, you do this. So you can't cite obligation and business obligation by doing one paid interview, and then just because you don't want to do it and you're annoyed by the press and the questions in the press conference not doing it. And I'll also say, if you're going to practice self-care and step away from the game to get better from a mental health standpoint, I'm all for that. I wish her well in that. But if she comes back into the next major championship or the next tournament and is playing again, I can rightfully question the fact that you just didn't want to do the press conference and you got called out about it and you cited mental health and then didn't really take any time away. Now, if she goes away for six months, you know, and checks herself into a mental rehab facility and does all these things to get better and doesn't do interviews and stops her paid interview and does all this because it's actually affecting her mental health, then we will all be sitting here hoping for the best. We're hoping for the best now for Naomi Osaka. But if not, it's okay to question that if she goes right back into it. It was an issue with the French Open, the media there, the fact that she already had bad things to say about the media. And then she got fined for it, and she's mad about it. And this was a way to get out of the tournament and, and maybe get out of the fine also. And also maybe get out of all future press conferences that she doesn't want to take part in. And it's okay to question the validity of that, if in fact that's the case, because we're getting inconsistent messaging from Naomi Osaka. Hot, I know you've got something good on press availability coming later. Oh, yeah, it's amazing how soft many of the, the media members have been on this, where they're just totally fine with just not having press availability unless a, a, an athlete wants to do it. Uh, and we'll, we'll hit on that more in primary complaint. Brad Stevens is headed to the Celtics' front office. He is no longer the head coach of the Boston Celtics. He's taking over for Danny Ainge in the front office of the Celtics. And this move explains the question that we were all asking. Why Brad Stevens turned down options to coach at Indiana, to coach at potentially North Carolina? He, when I first read the headline and heard the headline prior to the show, Chad, I'm thinking, oh, th this is GM head coach split and he's getting more power as the head coach. No, no, he, he's not coaching any longer. He's going to move to the front office and be doing things from behind the scenes now instead of courtside. I bought his initial answer, by the way, where he said, like, I, I'm a mass hole now. I go to Red Sox games. I, you know, I've been here quite a while in Boston, and this pull to Bloomington that everybody imagines that I have doesn't exist. That was satisfactory to me. Yeah. But this certainly is another layer that's interesting, and this idea that he's burnt out 
uh, what what did you read, Chad, right before we came online? That 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 the COVID the, the bubble, bubble experience and everything, and everything he was just burned, burned out. Burned out. Uh, which look, I I find him to be an honest guy, and I I, I can take that at, at face value. It it depresses me that a guy who I still picture as young and vigorous like Brad Stevens, that the business of coaching a major sport burns a guy like that out. I think it's a kind of uh, indictment of sports. Well, and the, the, you know, there's a couple of reasons that people were associating his name with Indiana in the opening. He was in trouble as the coach with the Celtics at that point. They rallied, got into the playoffs, and now mm. he's fine as a coach. But there was a lot of talk about Celtics fans being upset with him at the time. So this would be a nice, cushy landing to go. And he could coach any college program in America. He could pick his job. And go make as much Indiana, money North as Carolina he wanted. Were two good jobs. Indiana's right. not a good job, but it's a you know Dan I mean, Campbell of the Lions joked about you know just say my name is Matt Campbell because Matt Campbell could go get paid whatever he wanted to coach any college program and apparently any NFL franchise. Also, Brad Stevens is that type of coach that could get any type of job he wants. So that's why people are making that association. Now he goes into a front office and Brad Stevens becomes the Bob Stoops of every coaching opening from here on out. Any major college program that has a vacancy, any NBA franchise, one of the names rumored for that job will be Brad Stevens because everyone will be thinking, yeah. hey, Brad, you want to get back into coaching? Hey, Brad, I know you want to have a team. You know, the front office gig isn't for you. You interested in coaching? This is going to be nonstop because he's still a young guy. I didn't buy the fact that he was in trouble in Boston. Uh, he's made the Eastern Conference Finals three of the last four years. Uh, the only year he didn't go to the postseason was year number one as the head coach of the Celtics. Uh, so he's done really nice things there. I, I thought he was going to bolt for the money because these programs in college were going to give him $10 million a year to go and coach. I'm exaggerating just a tad there on the money, but I mean that's basically what he's being offered. And instead, uh, it sounds like to me he knew this option was coming and the season was when the season ended, the announcement would be made that he would have the option when Danny Ainge stepped aside to take over the front office. I, I'm surprised he's not coaching as well. I think, because a lot uh, of these guys, a lot of these coaches, uh, you want to discuss being a mass hole, uh, the bar is Bill Belichick, who does both. Yeah. And Stevens had a chance to do both. I think Th- that's coach. what's surprising to me. I think he'll coach again. These burnouts too. tend to be, uh, Bill Cowher's the exception, not the rule, right? You tend to come back. Yeah. And I won't be surprised at all if he replaces the guy that he hires. Well, the, he goes from being... Uh, uh, apparently on the hot seat at one point to now making the new hire of his own replacement. He's yes. only 44. He's 44 years old. That's what's crazy. That's insane. Hunter and I are both looking up at the same time. I know it's 44 years old. I mean, I, I'm with you, Paul. I think that he will coach again. He could do this for 10 years and still decide 10 years from now that I want to go coach Indiana or I want to go coach the Indiana Pacers. Right. You know, he could pick his, his team and probably go back to coaching, you know, a, a decade from now. That's how young he still is. So uh, coming up, we have primary complaint today. That's in about 25 minutes. We're looking forward to that. We have the Tennessee Power Hour. We'll all attempt to go a layer or two deeper on Julio Jones to the Titans, why the Titans are in desperate need of a player like him. And we'll do so without even mentioning Julio's stats, uh, at least for today, today's purposes and today's exercise as to why the Titans are in desperate need of him. Uh, But when we come back, Paul mentioned a part of his gig is becoming an expert in something on a daily basis. Uh, That's rapid fire with some of the research he's having to do as he prepares for the birds and the bees talk. Terrific segue. More on that straight ahead on Outkick 360. I'm expert. Coming up, primary complaint on Outkick 360. We hope you'll subscribe to the all-new YouTube channel for Outkick 360. You subscribe. We hope you'll ring that bell and be alerted to any time we go live, which is every day at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. And we post exclusive content on the channel as well. Hit that subscribe button on YouTube, and you can download the podcast after the show for your drive home, literally wherever you get your podcast. Uh, The link is in the bio for all of that. So, boys. Paul, what's going on at the Koharski household? Here we are. <coughs> my son. Here we are. Your son who has grown up on this show. My son who's All grown rise. up on this show. And uh, there's going to come a day where he's going to be more aware of me talking about things on here. And 
Uh, we welcome that. So much so that we're going to cry <laughs> when he gonna, goes off to yeah, drive him on. He's going to not allow yeah. for this. We're going to be standing there next to you and T as he drives <laughs> off yeah, crying wave. as Simon leaves for college. His mother was like, are you really going to talk about this on the air? And I said, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be, Teresa. I said, right. Now it probably will be, but cat's out of No, mind. I don't think so. Listen, uh, I'm having this conversation. There's the bee talking to the bird. <laughs> <laughs> I found that just before. I said, maybe we need to break this up with a visual. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's been asking uh, uh, to have this conversation. I, I told him uh, maybe six weeks ago, after school's over, I think it's completely appropriate that we have this conversation between fifth grade and sixth grade. I said, what do your friends know? Yes. And he said, um, they know some stuff, but we kind of have it where uh, there's a, an agreement that, uh, they don't, that, that nobody talks about it. Which I believe. I, I, you have to keep in mind, uh, I, and I'm sure there's been some talk, but they're 11, not 13. I think things have advanced, you know, certainly, and that's why I'm having a conversation with him at 11 as opposed to 13. But um, I, I do think it's a good group of kids and that the playground talk probably isn't what uh, I, I had. Uh, and I don't know that my playground talk started at 11. I'm thinking it didn't. My dad did a very good job with me, but I knew everything that he told me. Um, but I was thinking back at the conversation that I had and with you him, were which was at the you? beach, and I can't remember. 13-ish? How old I was, but I'm sure I was older than 11. Um, and so my problem generally, and my wife points this out to me after the fact, and I'm reminding myself before the fact, is I tend to offer too much and to go into too much detail. After the break-in, for example, I don't remember that I did this specifically, but I would say something like, you know, the murder rates, Simon, in, in Brentwood, Tennessee are minimal. You know, or the break-in rates in this neighborhood, this will be the only break-in here in your lifetime in our, in our neighborhood. And she would say, yeah, that's way too much. Don't offer more than he needs. And so I need to not offer more I find than that to be reassuring. <laughs> more Maybe I'm yeah. different, but I, right. I think that's good that you said but that. But for an eight-year-old, you know, he doesn't want to think too about much granular. Right. right? Yeah, too much granular detail. So I won't be offering granular detail, and I'll let him ask a lot of questions. Um, but uh, I, I'm not nervous about it until I really kind of think about it. See, I don't think you should be nervous, only because he approached you about having a conversation, which means he knows something already. Yeah, enough to ask you to have the conversation with him. About it. I think it's really cool that he would think to ask his dad about it, first and foremost, that uh, he wouldn't just go to his friends. Because it, me at 11 or 12, the last thing I would do is go to a parent, yeah. an older family member, or an older person in general for info about that. And that's not to say that my parents weren't great parents. They were. They were great. But I would just be so uncomfortable asking them something like that that I knew was taboo, you know, so to speak, not that I would want to learn from older kids you know, older cousins, people in my class. But the fact that he's going to you for it is a great well, sign. Well, let me preface. Like, there'd been a previous conversation, I don't know how long ago, where, <clears throat> I don't know, it was like, how will this work conversation? And I said, well, there will come a time where you and I will sit down and I will... How will his discovery phase work? Or how does it work? No, like, how will he learn about it? Okay. You know? And I said, there will come. Lance caught what I was asking. Yeah. yeah. There will come a time where you and I will sit down and we will have a conversation about it. And he said, kind of not, Mom. And I said, generally, for boys, it's, uh, you know, father and son. And for girls, it's, it's mother and daughter. And then, Thank you know, God, I'm off the hook. After, <laughs> after we have our conversation, you know, we'll come in. And if you have stuff that you want to ask Mom on, on top of that, I'm sure Mom, you know, you and mom can talk, or all three of us could talk, however you want it to go, and whatever questions you have, we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. Um, so I'm confident that's how it's going to go. For some reason, I've always pictured it, I don't, not that I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but because I had the conversation with my dad on the beach and we went for a walk, I've always thought about it like being on a walk or like. Is that how you're going to do around it? Around the neighborhood. Or just going to be in your house somewhere? I think either on a walk or in this back door, uh, outdoor living space where I never do anything except yeah. listen to the neighbor's <laughs> very loud movie. What do you remember about... Now your neighbor's going to complain about you. I'm hearing Paul talk to his son about <laughs> sex, sex on the back porch. Can you please keep it down? I won't do it at a... I won't take the megaphone and do it. 
What do you remember about having the I, conversation? I, I don't. I, we, I never had that conversation. If I did, I don't remember. I, I remember things like uh, watching Jerry Maguire, like Hutton, with his grandparents, well, and having to run out of the room <laughs> when that scene happened, and just never addressing it again uh, with my parents, and just not talking about it, all hiding in shame. Uh, I, I don't ever remember having that conversation at all. Which again, that's why I'm saying it's a good sign that your son has a relationship with you where he's coming to you uh, for this information and talking about it. I want to ask you though, how clinical do you plan on getting in this? Is it going to be, are you going to be speaking in vague terms or are you going to get very scientific with how you describe things? I mean, I think... Like you went to murder rate when your house was broken into. You were getting very clinical in terms of Well, that was just kind of an example of me going too far with stuff. I mean, I think you're a little bit clinical on the very basic things, and then you kind of follow what he where he takes you, right? I think But how are you not clinical with the the what sex is and how babies are made? I mean so so to speak. I I knew I, like I didn't know every single detail of this, but I knew I, I knew a good I knew enough to get dangerous with it, right? Enough information to talk my way through it if I was asked about it in the hallway, right? Um, and we were definitely talking about it in sixth grade, one hundred percent talking about sex in sixth grade. So that's I mean, when I can remember the first time having a buddy who yeah. knew all about it, who talked about it. Who you know had magazines? Or I was whatever. talking about. So I don't you knew that guy in sixth grade. I That's think, what I remember. I, I think twelve years old, that. 11, 12 years old, is perfect age because it's going to happen once you get to the hallways of middle school. It's, oh, absolutely. It's going to happen. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember my dad just sitting down on the foot of my bed prior to me going to sleep one night and having a conversation with me. Uh, and it was mainly I, the the thing I remember most was he was like, "Hey, I, I know you you know you've." probably heard about this boom 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 he lays it out he mentions condom use if i ever make a bad decision make sure that the bad decision isn't a like really bad decision and that was it like it was just kind of you know you know right from wrong you i trust you kind of thing how old uh, were you 12 12 yeah. about 12 13 see uh, i can't 12 and a half. see i can't see contraception being part of the conversation at this well, stage I mean, but that's, I, don't, I don't know i mean you're I, I had the sex ed course in seventh grade. That's so, what everyone does. So I mean, it's, he it, that that talks coming. He was only about eight months ahead of ahead. sex ed. Yeah. So prepare yourself know. to I, have I, that conversation. Yeah. Oh, and that's definitely a conversation you have. I just don't know if it's a conversation you have as part of the first conversation you have, uh, uh, telling him how it works and then telling him how to make it not work I, I don't i don't know I, I i'm gonna base it all on what kind of questions he asks you guys advice and memories do you really want advice from these guys on this topic oh yeah, well, yeah go I, ahead look i'm take all well, the advice it doesn't okay. mean i'll use the so advice. jacob right. uh we'll start with you because you're closest to the microphone back there you have your headset off um when when and if uh, did you have this conversation growing up i was about 14 years old okay too old. A little late. So you knew. Very oh, conservative knew. family, I'm guessing. Uh, you, relatively upper, conservative. Upper Midwest. Uh, conservative in like a Lutheran. Yes. Kind of Scandinavian Lutheran yes. sort of way. I know all about that. Um, my, my, see, my conversation with my dad was not, it was not a long conversation. It was. To the point. Two minutes, right? Yeah. Same, same thing with mine. It was like, I was 14 and my dad's like, all right, we're going to have this talk. And I was like, Dad, yeah. I, I kind of know about this. And then he was like, okay, well, you know about it and just said yeah. you know, like some niceties about, well, it's for someone that you care about and that sort of stuff. Just like making sure my intentions would yes. be pure Wholesome. with it. Any advice for me? Uh, honestly, it sounds like Simon's doing great. I, I agree with Chad. Yeah. It sound, it's cool that he asked you. Um, I'd say leave the contraception out until he's like thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not advising uh, that. <laughs> I, I'm a little. I was older than Simon whenever I had the chat. So. Right, right. But but you know the if you have any more questions about this, always feel free to ask me. That sort of stuff I think goes a long way. Lance, when did you have this conversation with your parents? Age eight or nine? <laughs> Tonight. <laughs> I seem to recall it being on the younger side, probably closer to eleven, like Simon. Um, and it was a very you know base talk not didn't really get into specifics exactly and then 
shortly thereafter finding, you know, the pile of magazines in a ah. bush left by a hobo and having a, a whole lot more questions. Yeah, that was a real discovery. Now, that period. doesn't exist anymore, the magazines in the bushes, which sounds like a good thing. When actually, but then you the realize internet access exists is far now. worse. This exists. The phone. That's yeah. uh, that's the problem. Also, Wi-Fi, which is scary. Uh, as hell. Also, the first magazine that I saw was definitely twenty years old. So, uh, you know, archive. Also, I yeah, don't, I don't think they stick around. They have a longer long longevity than your average yeah. uh, magazine. Particularly if they're buried properly. <laughs> I, I realize that every every and I don't have kids here. So, but. I believe every middle school locker room is talking about it and showing it. Yeah, guys so and girls. don't be naive enough to think that oh, you know, it's a good, it's a good group of kids. They're not talking. Oh no, about no, that. no. They're talking about it. Yeah, they're talking about. Well, it. Well, I don't know. They're the talking. Girls that age are showing things, but they're talking about it. Like this is not just a guy thing, or they're they're talking about it in middle school. So I think you're ahead of the what's coming uh, with him yes. in, yeah. in middle school. But Hutton's right. I mean, I I vividly remember. I don't remember much about individual classes. I vividly remember health class, seventh grade seventh year, grade. and going through the sex ed portion, which was like a week or two long portion of health class at the time. And uh, I, I remember vividly, um, sorry to discuss this on some people's lunch break, but <laughs> we watched childbirth in yeah, health yeah, class, we did too. and it, probably everyone around the same time had yeah. that same video from like 1979. Yeah. That you watched in the early '90s, mid '90s, scary out of there. And it was anything. a child, and then we had a an honor roll pizza party right after watching that, celebrating childbirth. It was just bad timing that like our mini school in middle school had that. But I remember. Did you make honor roll? I remember going for that. Yes, <laughs> and I remember watching childbirth and then immediately being served pepperoni pizza and thinking, I, I don't know if I'll ever eat again <laughs> after watching this. Like you want to talk about horrible timing? I vividly remember. Going from that class to the honor roll pizza party right after, and I'm thinking, could we have delayed the childbirth video until after lunch? Uh, that was that was quite the experience for, I guess I was 12 or 13 at the time. Couple uh, good things in the in the YouTube conversation. Uh, Shane Miles said, "I just want to get back. I just wanted to get back to playing Pokemon." <laughs> yeah. uh, Lebowski says, I say educate him on everything. Contraception, OnlyFans, walkthrough of the Viking sex boat scandal. <laughs> Which is classic Lebowski. Gift basket. Yeah. But James, James yeah, uh, talk about the captain Jeter. and Derek Jeter. Jeter and yeah. Do the right thing and buy a bunch of gift baskets beforehand. I know you're talking to this girl each, in homeroom. NDA stands for non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> right, yeah. James Thrice, this, this is kind of where I think Simon is. And this is where I think Consent. probably his friends are. He says, I heard dirty jokes for years from other kids before I understood any of them. My yeah. usual tactic was to laugh and pretend I knew what they were talking about. Yeah, I think that's I every think kid. I think that's the level they're at now where they know bits and pieces. They might, somebody comes out and, and takes the risk to throw it out there and everybody acts like they are in tune with I it. Think, and that's why he's coming yeah. and asking because he doesn't. I know. think it's important to remember, um, you know, the, the fifth to sixth grade transition. They so right now, if they're on a basketball team, they're the oldest on their team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you go to middle school, if you're playing middle school hoops, you're the, young. you're the youngest in there with eighth graders. Right. Which so the eighth graders are on that. That's that's the difference and why the timing it's, needs to happen. It's now. why that junior high middle school transition is the most uncomfortable. Some of those eighth graders with everything might be going active. on, but also the age. Yeah, it's the most awkward. When you part get there, I, I, the, yeah. that's the time of my childhood I remember the most. Yeah. Of just being awkward. scared. Yes, awkward. all the time. When seventh you're the little kid, awkward. And mine was seventh to ninth grade. So when you're a little kid going in, and then you got fifteen year olds there, they feel like uh, your parents. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're twelve years old going into middle school. Uh, Patrick on Twitter says, "I was born and my dad was forty three. He grew up in the Great Depression. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. There was never a slight chance that conversation would have happened." And my dad was, was a little bit older. I think he was 30. My dad, by the way, uh, shout out, happy birthday to Tom Withrow. All right. Oh, my dad Tom. turned Tom. 77 years old today. So uh, my That dad, was a hell of a fishing trip that I saw, Tom. Yeah, shout out. He had a largemouth bass in hand. Of course uh, he did. I showed you. Um, but he was 38 when I was born. You know, so there was a, a sizable yeah. you know, age difference yeah. at that point, too. My dad was in that range as well. So, um, but it's, I, I think about this, too. If we asked all of our viewers and listeners right now, give the name of the, the friend, that friend, 
that knew everything. That when you were a, it could be 10, 11, yep. 12, 13, 14, however old, that had the, that had the magazines mm-hmm. or that had the older brothers that told them everything, that just knew stuff. Everyone, I'm not going to out the friend that I, that I'll, I I'll, a name immediately pops in my head that uh, a guy moved into our school in sixth grade, sat right in front of me, a good friend of mine, lived in the neighborhood behind me, he knew was, everything. He was the knower. Yeah, his older brothers had magazines that he could show his friends. Uh, he watched all the cutting edge shows that talked about it. The guy was like a savant you to know, everyone else, and he just taught everyone in the class. You know, my example is barbed wire Randall. <laughs> Down the street. <laughs> Old Pam Anderson Randall. Yeah. yeah. He had the full collection. It's funny. Randall. It's funny that. Um, <laughs> Randall lives in a van right now, I bet. I hope he's alive. Yeah. It's funny that. He's you, either dead or lives in a van. That you both bring up basketball uh, or some element of basketball because my learning on the, the streets of South River, New Jersey. I think of the basketball court, which was a five-minute walk away, the local park, where now we it's played pick-up basketball, where I think, like, where where did I learn the stuff that my dad That's told me about? I think, I think, I think basketball, basketball court. it's the time of year. So you, as you start sixth grade, for me, I, I played on the middle school team, and so that is basketball season. So you're joining the seventh and eighth graders then as school resumes. You say our basketball is winter, but this was more well, about the playground. This was too. I mean, we started practice in no uh, October. Um, as as we're starting back, we're starting back school at mid September at the time. For me, it was more playground, and yeah. basketball was the central yeah. thing at the playground. Oh, and it's That's not just we locker rooms. I mean, it's everywhere, but I remember. Bus, uh, it's funny because you guys went to middle school in sixth grade, right? No, yeah. I went seventh. I seventh so eight. I was seventh grade also. Sixth, so seventh, and eighth. Sixth me. grade was like a great year because I was the oldest kid in my elementary school, right? That's great my year. last year of elementary. Great year. Seventh grade was a seventh tough year. grade worst. But sixth year. grade, I got introduced to that because uh, I played up in basketball, so I was the one twelve-year-old that played in a 13-, 14-year-old league. And in the tournament team, I was playing with a bunch of 14-year-olds. So we traveled to, like, Knoxville for a tournament. I'm in a hotel with nothing but 14-year-olds. And I vividly remember them talking about things they would do with their girlfriends and me just laughing, not knowing exactly what they were talking about. Not everything they were talking about. Like, oh, yeah, that's great. And just trying to fit in and not knowing anything. And it's funny because life is, you know, full circle with all this. Uh, I remember the good player on the team, his dad was the coach. I'm out coaching T-ball this year, and I hear, hey, Withrow, and turn around, it's him, and coaching against his daughter. (laughs) He was a coach on the other team. I haven't seen him in years, but I remember that time and him being 14 and me being 12 and all the other 14-year-olds and thinking, I'm really out of my depth here in this league, and it was very uncomfortable for a 12-year-old kid. Do we think David Reed's father had the conversation with him? Well, there was some uh, Michael on Twitter. This is what I think David Reed's dad would have done. Uh, he said, "LOL, they gave me a book." I get to see Reed's dad like throwing a book from the library at him and saying, "Read up on on the birds and the bees." Well, I do think a lot of parents will allow the the school system to teach them the the kid. Well, and there's it, a lot allow, more faith in the school systems back then. Well, you do the you do the course, and then you ask questions after. When you come home, I appreciated the fact that at least I had a brief, a brief chat <laughs> prior to the seventh grade class. See, I remember a, a friend of mine. like, you know, my dad talks about condoms all the time. I'm all ahead of this. <laughs> so I, Can I, we go to chapter no, five now? No, and just skip ahead. I couldn't have. I couldn't tell you what what they looked like whenever we had the conversation, right? But I, I do remember him including it based I on the age a, I was. A friend of mine, he didn't uh, break out his zucchini or kids anything. Kids went to Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go that far. That's what Paul would do. His priest says he goes too far. No. Excuse me. I sir. remember a friend of mine who's now you're going to take this here banana. Whose kids went to Catholic school <laughs> and they kind of tell you when it's coming and encourage you to talk to them first. Ah. Uh. Which I think is better. That is better. Have the conversation I, at home, I and think then the better. kid's ready for the conversation in school, not to feel completely awkward in so school. So do you feel better about talking it out prior to tonight's chat? Uh, tomorrow night's probably. Tomorrow night. Um, 
I, I thought it would be a good conversation, and it has been a good conversation. I think I, I'm, I've not felt bad about it, honestly, until I went and found that picture for Jacob, which he could put up again. And in the internet search I did, just for images of birds and the bees, yeah. like 15 books came up, and I was like, oh, am I sufficiently prepared for this, given all the available literature? No, I well, think, I think I think you're already winning as a dad. Yeah. The fact that he came to you, yes, that's a really good sign that he trusts his dad and is willing to talk about those things. Um, and here's to me praying that my daughters don't come to me for this, these questions. They won't. <laughs> I'm on the opposite end because I have two girls, so Angie I, is going to. Be, I do not want to have that conversation. I don't yeah. want them to ask me about yeah. it. Uh, there's already certain questions with a six-year-old. Yeah, that's just you know just curiosity things. Right that I have no clue how to, how answer, to answer at times. Simon yesterday, to put a capper on it, uh, he had been to the basketball thing, and then we went directly to the soccer tryout. So emptying the car, he had a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff. He was asking me for help, and I had a decent amount of stuff, and I was going to deal with the trash cans in the mail or whatever, and I said, handle as much as you can. And so he stuffed something in his tryout shirt that gradually sunk, and we had just eaten a big meal. And so when I caught up to him, I said, hey, you got a big belly there from the big meal. And when it was high and it gradually sunk lower. And I said, oh, and now you're pregnant. And then I thought to myself, <laughs> and two days from now, you're going to find out how that works. <laughs> See, I think first question I would have uh, in, your, in your seat, just to break the ice, is why did you come to me asking to have this chat now? Because it's not that, a bad idea. Yeah, because then hopefully, and I think he'll tell you where he heard it from. Yeah, you, you want to know. I will say you probably want to get a Take heads up on who that friend is that talked about it. Just yeah, who's the friend with the to, mustache? Not to shut the friend out or anything. I have a kids, feeling I could tell you. But you, you. kind of want to know which, one, which friend that is. I think I Because we all know that friend. Uh, I could name two names that I think are most likely. One based on having a couple older brothers. One based on personality. We need a very, very quick break. And then it is time for primary complaint. Hutton's is fire. Bang, bang. Straight ahead. Buckle up, Florio. Outkick 360 rolls on. Outkick 360 rolls on. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Full crew here making the show happen for us. Each and every Wednesday, we air our top grievance of the week. It is time for primary complaint. So for my primary complaint, I'm going to the world of Disney Plus and specifically Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Not what you were expecting, the direction I was going to go in, I know. But here is my complaint. It's not with the series itself which I find to be a lighthearted family comedy drama, very predictable, but an enjoyable watch over the course of five hours. 10, 30 or so minute, 30 or 40 minute episodes. My issue with the series is this. When you go to television and you do a complete series, you're doing that because the exposition can go longer and you can take time with characters and you can develop a plot and develop a storyline over more time and when you have a feature film that's an hour and a half to two hours, or like the 1992 great version of The Mighty Ducks, one hour and 43 minutes, you don't have as much time to develop the characters and get into plot. My issue with Mighty Ducks Game Changers is somehow, over the course of five hours, they were able to show you less hockey and less development of the team than the original Mighty Ducks showed in an hour and 43 minutes. This was a team that went from awful to great without any explanation. And they wanted the audience to completely buy how they went from not winning a game, not scoring a goal, losing 12 to nothing, to competing for a state championship. I understand how sports movies work, but typically there's, I don't know, a montage or something that shows how the team gets better. Mighty Ducks Game Changers failed at this over a longer period of time. It is unacceptable. Shame on you, Disney+. Plus. That is my primary complaint. My primary complaint, I visited him before. He insists I come to him again. Gary Sanchez. <laughs> Yesterday, Gary Sanchez hit a double, which was a miracle. I was happy. 
Then the next batter hit a ground ball to shortstop. What does one do when you're on second base and a ground ball is hit in front of you? Simon's team knows this, and Simon is 11. You retreat. What did Gary Sanchez do? He ran to third base, where the shortstop turned and got him out. This amateurish baseball from Gary Sanchez continues. The Yankees have now invested seven years in this guy, waiting for him to turn into something that is just not going to happen. He's hitting 202 with six home runs. They put up with this, uh, his terrible defense and base running because he's a slugger. Uh, batting average isn't how people judge baseball players anymore. They use statistics like slugging percentage. A good slugging percentage is 450. A great slugging per percentage is 550. He's slugging 379. Uh, his on-base plus slugging is 706. That's a D in, in on-base plus slugging. Minus 18 in the number of runs below average worth defense. Four errors. Minus 21 in runs saved above average per 1,200 innings, which is a popular defensive metric. 20 passed balls. 11 stolen bases against him with one caught stealing. That's 8% caught stealing rate. They have brought in special coaches for him. They basically fired Joe Girardi or didn't re-sign him because they needed to figure this thing out. It's not figure-outable. Kyle Higashioka is the backup catcher. They, he catches Garrett Cole, their best pitcher. That's not an accident. He should catch all the pitchers. He sucks as a hitter, too, but at least he plays defense, and he knows how to run the bases. End the Gary Sanchez experiment. It's time to move on. That's my primary complaint. Naomi Osaka wants to do less media, in fact, no media. And all of a sudden, Mike Florio wants to give all athletes um, a bottle, a blanket, a participation trophy for doing post-game interviews. He tweeted this yesterday from his Pro Football Talk account. Mike, the idea that 99% of players in a locker room would do media events and availability with reporters post-game is laughable. I've been in post-game locker rooms where the team sucked, and 100% of the time, it was the same five or six players who had the stones to speak up on behalf of their really crappy team over and over and over again, while others scattered quickly after games. Put that back up, Jacob. The Titans alone have had two players over the last 16 months who not only didn't speak to the media, but quit on a good team. And your argument is 99% of players after a loss would stand up and speak to post-game media members who are actually in the locker room. Two out of 53 are quitting a good team. Also, easy proposal by you, Florio, from a guy who doesn't step foot in a locker room. But his site, and a good one I might add, and one I use, his site is based on those who do and the work of reporters who do go into post-game locker rooms and require one-on-one -on -one and gang up opportunities at a locker with players. If you for one moment think that 99% of a locker room is going to make themselves available post-game, it's laughable. And it's coming from someone who doesn't have to face the music for anything he posts. It's my primary complaint. Bravo, Hutton. I mean, this guy, uh, you're, you're well right. Said. His site is a great site because it aggregates everything, and it's a one-stop shop for somebody looking for NFL stuff like we are. But it's an aggregation site. So it's easy for him to say, well, yeah, the players don't need to be available uh, because he doesn't need them to be available. But all the people right. that he's aggregating need them to be available. Is he, and he's not as smart as he puts himself out to be. Does he not get that he's one step removed from those players not talking to people hurting his own business? He's very naive. And this is a problem that exists in Nashville media a lot. There's some talking heads in Nashville who never are in the locker room to face the music. Maybe because their show conflicts with locker room time, that's fine. But they act like they know how the salary cap works or how locker rooms work or how team dynamics work, and they've never been close to those well, things. They maybe have washed somebody's underwear and a team manager. Here's the other unfortunate truth with it all. 
there's a good portion of NFL players and pro athletes in general who need to be coddled and they're a bunch of babies after a loss. Absolutely. If the Titans lost on game day, there were certain players I wouldn't be able to talk to post game. And I was doing post game interviews as the Titans radio network <laughs> because certain dudes didn't have the stones to talk about a loss or to talk about a bad play call. That that's the NFL. Guys are a bunch of front runners. And Florio is one too. He's, he comes from the, 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 the pack of people that want to give everyone a participation trophy. And I, I just don't buy into that. And he's NBC, so when he's at the Combine or the Super Bowl or something, people are anxious to put their, their players in front of him, right? At the Super Bowl, he's a great platform for them to advertise his rela- the player's relationship with Pepto-Bismol and, yeah, to, but t- he's and the, to talk nice about him. It's not even that. Difficult he's, question. He stands in front of a green screen and gives information. And, and look, uh, he's paid well for it. He does a show. Like, more power to him, Mike. I mean, your, your, your site is very good. But this idea that you're speaking on behalf of media who actually go into those locker rooms, you need to pipe down. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not having to do that. You're not speaking for those. Well, look, that it, what you laid out is perfect. And uh, that's going to be a clip that we post later from Outkick and Outkick 360, I'm sure. Be sure to tag Mike Flory on that because I want him to see that and we hear will. that. Because what you're saying is right. And on a broader issue, and I think a lot of out-of-touch people who cover sports that aren't in a locker room, like Mike Florio, they conflate athletic ability and being a supreme athlete and playing at the highest level of your sport. They, they somehow associate that with you got to be tough-minded at all times. It's not the case. No. Just because you're a pro athlete does not mean that you're more tough-minded than me or people who have much more difficult jobs than me or lawyers or doctors or anyone else. And people like Mike Florio feed the beast with this. They start saying stupid you-know-what about that, and then athletes buy into it. I'm better than you because I'm a pro athlete. I work harder than you because I'm a pro athlete. We're the hardest-working people around. We are tough-minded. 99% of us will stand up voluntarily after a loss and talk. It's not true. Some people have God-given abilities to play a sport and to be an athlete. Do they practice that sport? Yes. Am I going to give them a cookie for practicing a sport to make a, a tons of money? No. And a lot of these people are not tough-minded. That's why we talk about alphas on this show a lot. Because there's a difference. Hutton, you knew the guys even working for Titans Radio, an affiliate of the team. You weren't going to ask tough questions. Oh. You were there on behalf of the team's broadcast, but there, you knew the guys to go to that would answer questions, right? No, but I'm going to. That's ask, why we point out those athletes. I'm going to ask questions that are relevant to the game. Like if there's the a result. big play and uh, a player, I mean, we're getting instant reaction to how the game unfolded, win or lose. We're telling the story. Sometimes that story is going to be negative, and trust me, with Ken Wisenhunt, there were plenty of them. Plenty of them. There's only about four or five guys who would stand up and face the music. Delaney Walker and Jarrell Casey are two of them. And you went to them every Every week. Every single week because they stayed around their locker and faced the music on some really terrible football teams. Others scattered. There were guys that you knew if the team won, they'd be willing to talk to you. If they lost, they wanted nothing to do with a one-on-one interview. They would make themselves available for two minutes in the locker room after the 10-minute cool-down session and then bolt as soon as the media came in and went to the running back locker or the quarterback locker or the wide receiver's locker of the game because they made themselves available and no one came to them first so they were out of there. That's why I'm Because this, the other guy was going to leave if the media doesn't go talk to them. That's why on this Osaka thing, and I wanted to find a spot for this yesterday, a guy like Delaney Walker or Jarrell Casey um, or Logan Ryan – um, Byard's another example. Byard. On the rare occasion that after a game, one of those guys, and each of them has probably had one time where they've said, you know what, guys, today, no. Lawan, even, who, who's got showboat in him and stuff, but ultimately stands there and answers it, questions yes, about his penalties and all of that stuff. Yes, he does. But once in a while, one of those guys will say, no, today. And that's when the media gives you the benefit of the doubt. If Delaney Walker one time said, you know what, I'm going to bite my tongue today, it's not a good day for me to talk, all of us say, hey, no problem. You, you stand Woodyard. up every time. Wesley Woodyard. If today you say you're not going to talk, that's absolutely cool. Yeah. And that's when the media, 
that has a relationship with an athlete. Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's a, almost a mental health thing, right? Kind of in a, in a microcosm. Well, say, hey, I understand that on this one occasion, you're feeling like talking is not yeah. Let me bite good my tongue. for you. Let me and, think and that twice. you need to, to take a breath. And, and that's not a problem. I'm not going to go to the PR director and be like, hey, Delaney's not talking. Right. Delaney has been great every single Sunday. If Delaney didn't want to talk this one day, fine. You know, I think that uh, going back to what Florio and this, this idea he puts out there that because you're a pro athlete, you know, your greatness cannot be questioned and your mental fortitude yeah, cannot be questioned. And I'll go back to the Naomi Osaka story. This is where things like this happen. That if you dare to question someone who said one thing, did one thing, and then once she got fined, says a different thing, if you dare to question anything about that, well, then you're mean or you're this. Social media has turned this into it's because there are mean people on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. Certain writers feel the need to defend athletes at all costs because people were mean to them. Let me ask There's this. There's a difference between questioning things and being mean to someone, right? And I think that that's the job of the media at times to differentiate between the two and not just be a mouthpiece and a defense mechanism for players in all sports. Florio followed up that tweet that I just mentioned on the screen with this. How do we reconcile sensitivity to the mental health of athletes with an expectation that fresh from the darkest moments of their careers, they must face interrogation from strangers about their public failures and embarrassments? Unfortunately, the expectation is, Mike, that they will face the music, win or lose, because in their contracts that they sign, they make themselves available to said media through their failures. How soft is that? Uh, you want one how, answer? How soft is I'll, that? I'll give you one way to prepare for this. Don't have us be strangers. In your good times and in regular times, on practice days through training camp, build relationships. And then in your failures... You're dealing with people that you know who have some empathy and feelings for you who will approach you in a way that you can understand and you can approach them in a way that you understand. And they're not strangers because as part of your job, you've built a relationship with them and they're not zero faces to you. That's Paul, who's in the locker room on a regular basis. There's Chad, who I know, and well, who's asked me some tough questions, but I also know about his daughter's uh, softball. And he knows about my daughter's dance class because we BS once in a while. And that's how it used to be more often. And those walls are up now. Well, and it's a hard relationship. But if you build that relationship as part of your deal, then when you're facing your ultimate failure, it's not some... But, Stranger, but it's not. It doesn't. You have to go that deep. I mean, this, the, the the guy that he's using, just a random player A that he's using as an example of the the deepest and darkest moment of the career, is the same player who will stand and wait on media members to walk by after a game winning touchdown. That's right. Dress he's not. He's not, he's not pointing to the mental health issues after a good moment of his career. That's true. You're uh, absolutely right. And, and that's just that's not ninety nine percent of the locker room. Like, 99% of the locker room is not going to be made available. And he wants to have this experiment. Didn't we just go through that? How many players made themselves available on Zoom to the media this, this past year? Well, I remember having a conflict uh, because they gave us Ben Jones. They gave us Ben Jones because somebody else wasn't <laughs> available. Now, maybe he was having treatment or whatever. I mean, the Titans gave us a slew of people. It wasn't so much the lack of availability. Though, though people like Christian Fulton, who was hurt, you couldn't get him. You would have seen yeah. him in the locker room at, at some point during right. the course of the year coming to or from his locker. For and I, I, they, they rotated players in and out, but it's not like players were just lining up to make themselves available to the media. No, no. You it know? was a hassle for them. Well, here's, and, and this is uh, to, to bridge the divide that I have a problem with Mike Florio and media members like Mike Florio. That quote that you laid out, Hutton, mm -hmm. their, their deepest, darkest professional right. moment. The same person who talks about their deepest, darkest professional moment and having to answer questions about losing a game to the media will also defend when fans are upset with players for glad-handing and joking and laughing with the opposition after a loss. Yeah. Their deepest, darkest moments. The same person who will defend and go after fans who take issue with LeBron James joining up with professional enemies to go win a championship. 
Which is it? Or, or is it a deep, dark, professional nightmare or that they have to go dare to answer questions? Or, or ask for the it, death you know, penalty guys, of a franchise? You know, guys, this is their job. You know, it's not during their the life. They're not that upset, and they are, and they don't have to be. Right. By the way, fans are more upset than players. We've said that oh, oftentimes. Absolutely, and that's fine. That's their job. And if they that's put their the case, heart into it, then it's worse right. for the fan to sit there and answer questions afterward. They, I mean, give me a break. You should be able to answer it's a questions. question about a game. Yeah. I mean, come and, on. Yeah, and, it, and it's part of your job. Exactly. That that's the point. It is part of the job, and, and it's, it's part your of main part of your job. As you take Florio, away these parts of people's jobs, it gets softer and softer and easier and easier, and that stuff never comes back. He wants a one-year experiment. If there's a one-year, this is, is is fantasy on his part. No one-year experiment ever comes back. I know, right. Here's here's the. Uh, we're worried about locker rooms ever opening. One hundred percent of the players would take Florio up on that on that oh, experiment. Yeah. And zero percent of reporters. But see, Mike Florio, <laughs> Mike Florio is to blame too. Like this of is, course. I'm not just going to crush players. Players are a condition of the culture and their surroundings. And there are a million Mike Florios out there. Go look at the stories written about Naomi Osaka. I can show you a million Mike Florios that hold no one accountable. And because there's a few mean people on the internet that say really nasty and dirty things about them, they feel like they have to. Grab the torch and carry the crusade for that poor player that's making millions. I and say, I don't get it. Yeah, We've gone too far the other direction. There was We've more, gone too far the other there direction. There was more reasoned Osaka stuff than I expected uh, at the Ringer. Um, you mentioned Greg Couch. Greg Couch, is, uh, and he's written more than one piece. More reasoned stuff than I expected. Athletic. Ath- uh, athletic. Um, I-, I think sensible stuff without sports writers themselves saying, you're right. We should do away with the press conferences. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, we should shut down my means to communicating with people because of this one woman's uh, mental situation and complications with the French Open. Uh, so I, I thought it was a rather good uh, showing from the, the media. Uh, but they have a stake in it, of course. Uh, can we transition we. to mydrhank.com here? Uh, with uh, the timing. We, we've gone over, but we make the rules on Outkick 360. Uh, no one's coming down the hall to complain about when we're going to break. Maybe David Reed's upset, but quite frankly, again, we make the rules on when we go to break. Um, Outkick 360 and com. We're letting you know that we're making America hard again. Look, erectile dysfunction affects over half of all men, but it doesn't have to make you feel like half of a man. Since 2017, my Dr. Hank has been making America hard again, and you can get low-cost ED meds and overcome the psychological and emotional barriers to getting ED treatment. We just had an entire segment about making the media hard again <laughs> also. So this With some really hard questions. is the perfect time. Some hard questions, but, you know, athletes maybe having to sit and listen to hard questions also and answer them. It's amazing. It's a novel concept, I know. Uh, and also at doc, with Dr. Hank, they secure your prescription and then ship it to you discreetly every month from USA Pharmacies, all for as low, Paul, as $2 per pill. 50% off if you use our link here, mydrhank.com outkick. 50% off onto your first subscription order. I am big on these massive discounts. Coming up, we discuss the need for Julio Jones in Nashville, and we don't even need to mention the future Hall of Famer stats to make the case for why the Titans need to make the trade. That is straight ahead on the Tennessee Power Hour. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.